Well, we are now in Lent. This is the first week of Lent, and we had uh, a remarkable gospel reading uh, yesterday. Sunday's gospel, we heard the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert. We're going to take a a deeper look at this passage from uh, Luke 4, 113, Uh, and it has uh, the temptation of our Lord by Satan. And there is a great deal uh, to study in this and to apply in our own lives, especially here as we are now in Lent. To help us do that, I'm joined by Carl Olson, who is the editor of the Catholic World Report and Ignatius Insight. He's the author of Did Jesus Really Rise from the Dead? Will Catholics Be Left Behind? He is a prolific author and uh, someone that I would encourage everyone to read. Uh, Carl, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you. So you wrote a, uh, a piece uh, on the temptation in the desert and the divinity of Christ, and you make a, a very compelling argument in your piece, uh, and that is that Satan was aware of Jesus' baptism, but thought the true identity of Jesus couldn't be known until he was tested in spiritual combat through temptation. Uh, a very interesting take on this passage, but before we go there, Let's uh, mm-hmm. provide some additional context as to this passage, its placement in Luke, uh, and sort of where our Lord is in this particular passage. Well, just like with the other Synoptic Gospels, this is where Jesus is, has not yet began his, his uh, started his public ministry. And so this really, uh, he's, been, he's been baptized uh, but he has yet to announce his public ministry to declare, you know, repent, the kingdom is at hand. And he goes out to the desert, as he does very often throughout the Gospels. We see Jesus going out to pray, to spend time with the Father. And here you have this really remarkable account of Jesus being confronted by, by the devil. And, yeah, the, the my argument there is taken from, of course, it's not original with me. This is something that many of the Church Fathers said, and I have a quote there from uh, the great... Uh, English uh, writer uh, Father Ronald Knox, who makes the same same argument that really at the heart of this is Satan trying to figure out exactly, you know, who he's dealing with, and um, I think it's a really fascinating thing because when you see it, one way I would sum up this this section in Luke and, and also as it appears in in uh, Mark and, and Matthew, is you have the power of Satan over against the power of Christ, and we we're called to contemplate the nature of both power. And temptation, and I would argue that so many of our temptations come from some kind of desire for power, right? Power over people, power over things, even power over God, if we're really honest with ourselves, right? So I think that's at the heart of a lot of it. And of course, these 40 days in the desert and the three temptations that Christ goes through echo and parallel the 40 years in the desert that the Israelites spent and various temptations that they underwent. And of course, they failed but we see that Christ himself, of course, overcomes these temptations and, re- and rebuffs and rebukes Satan uh, after each one of these. Yeah, the idea of our Lord being tempted has certainly been the, the, the source of great fascination to artists uh, um, and filmmakers over the years. But uh, it, it's almost difficult for us to visualize um, the actual acts of temptation that were taking place. Can you sort of paint a picture for our listeners about what that might have looked like? Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I don't, you know, it's this obviously an element of mystery here, and part of that is the fact that 
you know, I, I don't think we had any of the evangelists out in the desert with Christ That's right. you know, witnessing this firsthand. So what we're what we're reading here in the Gospels, I think, is something that was passed on to the apostles, the evangelists, by Christ himself. And I think, you know, this, um, I mean, it obviously literally transpired. How exactly that looked, you know, whether this is something where Christ is, you know, alone in the desert and, you know, the devil manifests in a, in a material way, etc., difficult to know. But what, what we do know is that there was this very real confrontation, you know, between the two. And this is something that then Christ, I think, uh, the only reasonable conclusion is that he passed this on. And I think that raises the question, then, why would he pass this on to his disciples? And I think one, there's many reasons, but one, in addition to showing how he fulfills uh, what the, the Israelites themselves could not fulfill in their desert wanderings, it also shows how much how fully human he is, you know, and uh, and to bring this back home to the fact that he is fully human, as well as being fully divine, and that he himself is tempted, as we are tempted. And one thing that's really interesting is, at the very end of his earthly journey, before he goes to his passion, Christ is tempted again, right? He's tempted mm-hmm. in the garden. So I think it's really interesting when we think about Lent and we think about this trajectory of Christ's journey towards his passion, the Paschal Mystery, is that it begins with a temptation and it ends with a temptation. And in both cases, the temptation is the same, to reject the will of the Father and to do whatever we want to do, right? Um, and so I think that's, it's a really a constant reminder that temptation is not just something that comes along at one time and then we reject it and, and we're good. As we all know, it's a perpetual battle. It's a perpetual uh, test of us, whether or not we're going to rely upon God's grace and and help in these difficult uh, times. Yeah, you note uh, the humanity of our Lord. uh, And in this passage, uh, there's Luke's observation that uh, he was in the desert for 40 days. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Uh, very clearly, <laughs> it's it's a great little line that's always stayed with me. Um, right. That here is our Lord hungry, and then the devil tempts him. But then also to your point of um, going to Gethsemane, there's that also the last line uh, in this passage: when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. That, so that we're, yeah. we're setting in this narrative that uh, this is not the last we shall hear from Satan. And in this in this world, this world is a a place of perpetual spiritual warfare. Um, Lent is a reminder of that, and I think that uh, in a world where, of course, people scoff at the idea of, you know, of, of demons, of, of angelic powers, of spiritual warfare, one of the things we're reminded of during the season is no, this is very very real. I mean, this is something that not only did the gospel writers write about a lot, but but Saint Paul, you know, again and again talks about this reality, right? Um, and I think it's one uh, reality through which we need to see the world, not not so that it gets us down or so that we're obsessed with this, but really that we see it clearly for what it is, that this mm-hmm. is part of uh, another quote-unquote reality. I mean, it, it, it is reality itself. It kind of cleared away. Of, the thing about this, this temporal realm we live in is there's so many ways that we can kind of use things to, to hide that uh, transcendent realm, that supernatural realm, we can we can uh, find different ways to cloak it, so to speak. And I think uh, Lent is a great time through fasting, through almsgiving, through prayer. We're supposed to strip away those things 
and really try to see more clearly the cosmic struggle and that we have a place in this. You know, I think one of the, the goals of my article on this is that, you know, we are through baptism, we are children of God. And so Lent is a time for us to grow in that sonship and daughtership as children of God. And I think uh, there's very clearly in Scripture, I think I hear like First John 3 or First John 5, where it talks about, you know, this battle between the children of darkness and the children of God. This is a very real thing. Um, and we have to take it, we, we need to take it seriously, not to turn it into just a metaphor, but to see it for what it really is. Well, you give uh, three reasons uh, for contemplating uh, the, the point that you're making in terms of spiritual combat through temptation. It says, temptation reveals the nature of our enemy, it reveals the reality of our situation, and it reveals the identity of the sons and daughters of God. Yeah, and that's drawn in part from Ronald Knox, who I, I find is, is uh, really a great guide. You know, of course, he translated Scripture and he wrote commentary on Scripture back in the first half of the 20th century. I think all of these things are really worth a lot of contemplation, right? Um, if we really seriously look at the nature of what is it that I'm tempted by every day? I mean, I think we all have certain temptations that keep coming back to us, right? Well, it reveals something about how Satan and his demons approach us, how sin uh, finds its way into our lives. And in contemplating that and praying about that, I think we find ways then through God's grace to re rebuke it, like Christ rebuked the devil. And then the re reality of our situation goes back to my previous point. You know, we need to strip away these things that maybe give us a little bit of false comfort and really see our situation for what it is. And that is, without God's grace, without the saving work of Christ, you know, we, we have no hope. We have only hope in that saving work of Christ. And so Lent is really a time of journeying along with him and, and reappreciating even more deeply that fact. And then, as Scripture says, and this, I'm going back here to, to uh, like Paul and Romans, uh, the Epistle to Romans, also First John, which I mentioned, the, the sons and daughters of God are revealed through temptation, which might sound a little bit strange, but it, through how people respond to temptation, how they respond to the attacks of the devil, we begin to see who they are. This is how we see the, you know, the saints, right? The saints reveal themselves under great pressure and under great temptation. Um, we don't, nobody's ever become a saint by having a really soft and easy life, as far as, as, far as I know. Um, it's always through a lot of hardship. Of course, many of the saints suffered greatly, and this is why we look, at the, look to the martyrs as you know, such great exemplars, because they're willing to leave this temporal realm uh, in order, and die for, for Christ. He alone is their, their only hope. Yeah, and uh, Monsignor Knox uh, was also a detective fiction writer, as I recall. Yeah. And it seems very appropriate uh, that uh, in to torture that little interesting historical factoid is the, the way that the devil's name, Diabolos, means slanderer, also accuser. And there's a great deal of accusing that goes on in detective fiction. But in this case, we really do know who done it, don't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think part of... Part of what's going on with slander or accuser, accusing, is that Satan wishes to sever relationships. I was just teaching a course this, a week ago, uh, a catechetical course on salvation history, and we talked about how Satan wants to sever relationships, whereas Christ comes to reunify, to bridge the chasm between God and man, to bring together people in the unity of the Church. But Satan constantly wants to break away, he wants to cut away uh, the relationships, whether it is within a family, within a community, within the church. 
And he does that through accusing, slandering, mocking, you know. And, of course, we give into that, right? We, uh, we say things behind people's back. We gossip. We lie. Um, and I think it speaks to the power of words, right? I mean, everything that Satan does here in his temptation is through words. He uses words to try to tempt the word. And he then himself is rebuked by the word of God, both both in the person of Christ and by the, you know, literally the, the uh, statements from the Old Testament. You know, it's a beautiful picture. So I, I think of that when I think of that term of, of Satan as a slanderer. He's constantly using words to try to sever and break and ruin relationships. And we have to be very mindful of that and how dangerous that is in our lives. And how dangerous it is to uh, push God aside. I'm, I'm quoting uh, from Pope Benedict XVI, whom you quote in your piece from his magnificent right. series, The Jesus of Nazareth, where he says at the heart of the temptations, as we see here in this gospel account, is the act of pushing God aside because we perceive him as secondary, if not actually superfluous and annoying in comparison with all the apparently far more <laughs> urgent matters that fill our lives. I, I think that's a great lesson for all of us here in, the, in Lent, isn't it? Yes, and I, it kind of touches on the fact that Benedict, uh, one of the things that's underappreciated about him, I think, is his very subtle, dry sense of humor, right? Um, <laughs> Always. He, 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 yeah, he has a subtle, uh, very, I, I love it. But, um, yeah, it's something we have to keep in mind constantly, that God comes first, and Lent reminds us of that reality. Amen. Well, Carl, Carl Olson, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. appreciate it. When we come back, I have a few closing thoughts on Ukraine and the Knights of Columbus. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. <laughs> 